0: Good morning, everybody. I love saying that and see, well, right now it was only Linda scattered, but uh, <laughs> a lot of people, when I say that, they like, okay, it's time to get started. What happened here? You guys are a little light. This side, it's usually heavy. All right. But it's good seeing you all. How y'all doing? Well, the three of you, I'm glad you're doing well. Let's open up with a word of prayer this morning. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the great God that you are. Uh, I said it this morning in Sunday school. I'll say it again. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you for the uh, beautiful day you have blessed us with. And I thank you for each person that is here. Lord, we pray that you would meet the needs of each one of us, Lord. Uh, Even those that are watching online uh, or even later, Lord, I pray that you would bless us. Uh, I pray that uh, all that we do would be glorifying to you today. Lord, we love you so much. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, why don't you all stand with me and uh, make sure you get good deep breaths because this song is long and uh, there's a lot of words to it. So uh, let's lift up our voices as we sing. Page 114, Wonderful Grace of Jesus.
1: Wonderful Grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall his praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free, for the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Wonderful, the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea. Higher than the mountain, sparkling like the fountain, all sufficient grace for even me. Broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus, praise His name. Wonderful. Of Jesus reaching to all of us. grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than the mountain, sparkling like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me, broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus, praise his name. There's
0: another verse, but we're just going to bypass that one. Is that all right? Whew. Okay. <clears throat> all right. The next song we're going to sing, I know, is, uh, I know he's not here, Greg Roman's favorite song, uh, because he says it sounds like uh, Lion King uh but we're going to sing i don't know why it's just he's goofy uh but uh, we're going to sing uh, uh greatest uh, maybe it does sound a little bit like it greatest the lord say, hey, great to see you today. And y'all may be seated. All right, let me give you a couple quick announcements today. We are having a carry fellowship dinner after the service today. I hope y'all will stick around and eat. There is lots of food. Well, I know we brought a lot of a lot. Never mind. doesn't matter. Um, yeah. So come back, eat, Fellowship, have some good times with us. Um, this week, my wife and I will be out of town. Um, and But you can still reach us if you need to get a hold of us. Um, and then also this Wednesday, we're not having a, a Wednesday night prayer meeting. Uh, next Sunday, I will be back, but I thought it would be good just to let uh, Harold preach for me. And so Harold is going to be preaching next Sunday. Um, so he'll probably have a big old crew coming. Because, yeah. Um, and then, uh, February 17th is the soup cook-off at 6 o'clock. Uh, the soup cook-off and bake-off, that's at 6. If you don't know what that's all about, I think everybody's here that's been there, but if not, it's everybody makes some soup. We just have a good time. We have a little bit of a contest. Um, and, uh, also bake-off is like anything you want to bring as dessert, uh, bring that and, uh, and we can enjoy that. Um, let's see. And then March 16th is uh, Barb Solomon's memorial service. Uh, again, we're not uh, exactly 100% sure what time that's going to be yet. But as soon as we know, we'll let you know. Um, and uh, that's what's what's coming up. All right. Um, let's go ahead and uh, sing our next song. Uh, it's in uh, your hymnal, page 107, or up on the screen. We're going to sing "Amazing Grace," and uh, we'll take up our offering during this song. A second.
1: Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves.
0: If uh, Hugh would ask God to bless the offering, please. Amen. Thank you, sir. All right. Why don't you go ahead and turn your Bibles with me to page... Oh, to page, I don't know the page number. Genesis, Genesis thirty nine. <clears throat> Today we uh, are, are finishing up our series of you in five years, and uh, you know where do you want to be, who do you want to be in five years? Um, you know, we've been learning who who we want to be and, and and why we want to change and how we will do it and when to make changes. And so this week. Um, I want to uh, look at not what changes, but what if. What what if our plans fail? What, What if life happens a little differently than what we thought it was going to be? I mean, you know, we're trying to do this, you in five years, like looking where God wants us to go. But what happens if we set this, we think this is of God, and it doesn't happen? Anyone have plans or goals in their life that they don't meet? I think every single one of us is like that. Uh, Even if uh, they were wonderful plans that uh, would would be God honoring and God glorifying, sometimes because of uh, the circumstances beyond our control, we can't fulfill those dreams. We can't fulfill those plans and goals in the time frame that we had planned for it. Now, maybe you've been trying all month long to try to change something in your life, and with God's help, and it seems like you know He's just not helping you out. Uh, Maybe you're praying for patience. And all that God seems to be doing is bringing more frustrations in your life. Let me give you a hint. That's what He's doing. He's teaching you patience. How do you learn patience by more frustrations coming into your life? So you can learn to be patient during those frustrations. Um, <clears throat> maybe you've uh, uh, been praying for something for a month, or, or maybe five months, or even five years or longer, and God just doesn't still still. Blah. God still is not answering it the way you want it to be answered. And so maybe you get a little disappointed with God, which brings me to the question, does God really work? I mean, does prayer really work? Does, does God really do what He wants us? I mean, what is this all about? And I'd love to be able to look you in the eye and say, yes, He does. And if you just follow these seven steps right here and you apply them to your life, God is going to work for you just like this. No. I'd love to do that, but that's not the way God works. God's not a mathematical uh, 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 solution. I mean, there are no certain stamps that that are going to make sure that God will do whatever you want Him to do in the time frame that you want Him to do it in. You know, help you be whatever you want to be. Because God's not a genie. God does not typically work that way. But I do know that God is never going to forsake you. God is never going to leave you. And that's the, the first verse here that we're looking well first verse I really want you to notice is that God, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what it is that you're going through, no matter how traumatic the pain may be, no matter how difficult the situation is, God is never going to leave you. God is never going to forsake you. So how do we deal with the what ifs? What if it doesn't go as planned? Now, I'm just going to give you a little heads up um today's message is going to be a little bit different if you notice in your bulletins um it does have like uh this point and there's going to be another point and then a bunch of lines and then another point and a bunch of lines there's nothing really to fill in on those bunch of lines just if you wanted to take notes just giving you a heads up i only have two main points uh really two i don't want to say that's not the point of the message but i mean i have two points um but we're going to look at the life of Joseph. Y'all know who Joseph is, maybe, hopefully. Not Joseph, Jesus' dad, but Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. That's the guy we're talking about. Uh, he is the youngest of 12 brothers, and uh, his dad just loves him to death. He, he is the favorite. How many of y'all are the favorite of your family? Okay. All right, maybe, maybe, we'll see. Um, but he is the favorite. I mean, his dad uh, was always giving him all kinds of presents, and that's why he got that Technicolor Dreamcoat. It had many colors to it. And all the other ones got gray and brown and tan and taupe. And, and khaki and desert brown. And, I mean, that's you know, it's pretty much the colors that they had. But Daniel, I mean, Daniel, where did that come from? Joseph got this multi-color jacket, and he's like, "Hey, check it out! This just proves that Dad likes me better than he likes you guys." You know, Joseph doesn't say that, but you can almost see this sibling rivalry going on. Joseph uh, does seem a little bit arrogant, um, and he's walking around thinking he's going to be somebody some, one of these days. I mean, even God gives him a dream that uh, that there was 12 stacks of wheat and everybody bowed down to one of those. And it was like he said, that was me. And even the, the, the sun and the moon and the stars even bowed down to me, you know, kind of referring to his parents. Now, the brother, he told it. Now, that's one thing to have a dream, but he decided he wanted to share that with his brothers like I'm going to be somebody. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a king man that I'm sounding like jungle but not jungle but like the lion king I'm gonna be a king someday. Never mind. Scripture states that after Joseph told his brothers this dream, they hated him even more and they got tired of it. We're going to go through the whole life of Joseph here this morning. Just uh, uh, an overview of his life. So Joseph has a very clear vision for his life. He's got this five-year plan that he is going to be a ruler. Everybody's going to be bowing down to him. uh, And he's very confident in it. But his brothers are sick of hearing about it. So they just conspire together and say, We need to get rid of Joseph. He is just driving us nuts. And so his brothers are out tending sheep, and his dad sends Joseph to take lunch to them. And Joseph's coming, and they see him away off and they begin to scheme with one another. Like, now's our chance. We can get rid of him. We can take care of him once and for all. And so they jump him. They, they, they punch him. They, they strip him down to his underwear. They throw him into a pit. And one of the brothers says, We need to kill him because he's just so annoying. But uh, there was another brother that says, No, we can't kill him. That would just break Dad's heart. And so they they decided not to do that. Well, someone sees slave traders going by, the Ishmaelites, and they said, hey, let's sell him. That sounds like a great idea. We can get some money out of this deal and be rid of Joseph. We won't have to hear about those dreams anymore. And they're like, hey, yeah, that's a great idea. That's a wonderful idea. And so that's exactly what they do. They sell Joseph into slavery. That was not in Joseph's five-year plan, right? Right? Uh, now he ends up in e- Egypt. He's on the slave blocks and he gets bought out, uh, by a guy by the name of Potiphar. And, uh, he, and, uh, you know, Joseph has this dream that God's gonna elevate him. That God's gonna make him a great leader. Now he's a slave. It's like, okay, th- that's not even where I was just a few months ago. God, wh- what's going on here? Uh, so now he's a slave. Potiphar sees that everything that he does, um, everything that Joseph gets involved in just starts producing like crazy. And so he begins to move up in the ranks uh, within the uh, the servants of his house. And, and it get, eventually gets to the point where Potiphar gives him promotion after promotion after promotion where he is the head slave. He is running the household of Potiphar. Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything whatsoever. He didn't even have to worry about balancing the checkbook because he understood that that. Uh, a, Joseph had it. He had it all taken care of. Uh, He didn't have to worry about his farm because Joseph had it. That was a good thing for Potiphar and he loved it. Then all of a sudden it seems Potiphar's wife begins to notice Joseph and start checking him out. She's like, hey, how you doing? And Joseph's like, no, 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 no. Um, You are Potiphar's wife. You are my master's wife. There's no chance here, no way. He's given me control of everything in the house except for himself and you. And no touchy touchy. I'm not doing it, okay? Not, not going to happen. And uh, um, she didn't like being turned down. And so one day she finds Joseph all by himself and she starts to make her, her moves on him and she grabs him by the jacket and he just flings himself like throwing some ninja moves or something to get out of the jacket, and she's just left there holding the jacket as he runs away. And, uh, you know, what? I think this is a great illustration of what the New Testament tells us, that when we are tempted by any sexual sin, that we are to flee fornication, run away. And that's exactly what Joseph did. Now, Potiphar's wife did not like that. She's standing there holding his jacket. The first thing that pops in her head, fine, if he doesn't want me, fine, I will take care of him. And she calls the cops and accuses Joseph of trying to rape her. And, uh, but, but she fought him off and he, and he ran away, but she had her, had his jacket. So they arrest him and throw him into prison, which again was not a part of, God, of Joseph's five-year plan. Do you see it, the downward spiral going on? I mean, we see him as a brother, and then they sold him into slavery. Now he's working as a slave. Now he's in prison. It's just not going the way that Joseph uh, thought it was going to go. I can imagine him thinking, maybe under Potiphar, you know, I could be that leader that God wanted me to be. I've been a leader over all the other slaves. I've got a good thing going on. But now I'm in prison. And you've got to be asking yourself, where is God in all of this? I mean, you've got this good guy by the name of Joseph. There's nothing in Scripture that explicitly states that Joseph sinned. Now, he did sin because all men sin. Everyone sins. Um, But he's committed to God. And look what happened to him. God gave him a dream that he was going to be a leader, a great leader. He's beaten up by his brothers, sold into slavery. He was obedient to God, trying to follow God, trying to talk to God. And what happens? He gets falsely accused as a slave and sent to prison. Where's God? Well, let's look at verse number 20. Hopefully y'all are there. Genesis chapter 39, verse number 20. When Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was where? What does the next couple of words say? And the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So God was with Joseph through all of it, even in the down and dirty parts of the prison. Verse 22. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. So the Lord was with Joseph and gave Joseph success, whatever he did. He was successful as a slave and now he's even being successful as a servant. I'm sorry, as, as a prisoner. Now, here's the thing. God was present in Joseph's pain, right there in the middle of it, and so many of us might think that uh, that if God is with us, he's going you know, to send us that check that we need to be able to meet our bills uh, at the end of the month, or maybe uh, we're, we're struggling in our, our marriages and uh, we think that God is the only one that's going to be able to put it back together and we pray to him and he does it, and, and, and yes, that's a wonderful thing, yes, God moves and he, he does answer prayers, but... What we see is God moving in a totally different way in Joseph's life. Most of y'all would probably say that God was not answering Joseph's prayer because he went from, I mean, a son, probably of the wealthiest guy in the, the nation of Canaan at that time, to a slave and then from a slave to a prisoner. Do you think when Joseph was in the pit waiting for his brothers to do whatever uh, with him, he was thinking, man, I hope I get sold as a slave today. He's probably calling out, calling out God, save me, protect me. When he gets sold as a slave, you can imagine Joseph saying, I'm, I'm not a slave, I'm a son. I'm the son of Jacob. Now I've got to be a slave? Come on, God, get me out of this. Again, God was with him. And even when he gets thrown into prison, come on, God, I, I followed you like everything, you know. And... Uh, you just seem to keep tearing me down. You keep knocking me off of my feet. But you see, God moved in a completely different way in, God, in Joseph's life than what a lot of us would think that God should behave and how God should step in. You know, God didn't take the pain away from Joseph. Instead, this is what he does. He entered right into the middle of the pain that Joseph was experiencing. He moved in with abandonment. He moves in with uh, 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 into that false... Accusation. He moves into prison and, and, and he doesn't remove the pain. But instead, what he does is he picks Joseph up above the pain. What I want you to understand this morning, no matter what the situation that you may be going through, the difficulties, the pain, the problems, God is present in your pain. Yeah. God is present in your pain. Now, I can't even imagine the monstrous situation that may be going on in your life. Maybe it's abandonment. Maybe you feel like God has abandoned you, or maybe you feel abandoned by your family. Maybe you've been abandoned by your friends. You know, you determine that you're going to be a better Christian for these next five years, and as a result, it rubs your friends and family the wrong way because they're not used to you being so spiritual Uh, and, you know, goody-two-shoes. And they don't like it. You, know, you may say, well, God, where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen? I chose to follow you, and now I've lost my friends and my family. Why, why did you leave me? Why did you do this to me? Maybe it's not abandoned. Maybe you're a victim. A victim of gossip or a victim of just struggling with physical health. Maybe it's abuse. Maybe you've uh, been verbally abused uh, by your family. Or physically abused. I mean, having a hard time dealing with that. There's a lot of pain, but I want you to know that God is with you in the midst of your pain as you're going through it. It it may seem like He's silent. It may seem like He's not there. God's Word promises that God will never leave us and God will never forsake us. So God is present in your pain. So Joseph, still in prison, he meets a couple of guys, a butcher, a baker, and a candlestick maker. No, it's not. It's a butcher and a baker, you know. Uh, um, I'm sorry, the butler and a baker. And uh, they were both put into prison because the king thought they were conspiring against him. And so they both had these weird dreams. And they're talking about it one day. And Joseph walks up and says, what are you guys talking about? And they share their dreams with him. And he interprets their dreams. And so, you know, he could have said, you know, hey, you know what, I'm your guy, I can do that. Just deposit 24.99 into my commissary account and I will take care of you and we'll, we got this. No, he, he just interprets it for them. But he says to the butler whenever, because the butler is the one that was not part of the conspiracy and he gets let out. And he goes, when you get out of here, just remember me and tell Pharaoh about me because I was falsely accused. I don't belong here. I got to get out of here. Please don't forget me. Well, the butler got out, and of course the butler forgot him, for two whole years. Jo- uh, Joseph's still in prison for another two years. Then f- the pharaoh of Egypt has a dream, a vision of some kind, and he's looking for somebody to interpret it. His wise men are not able to give him anything, and, and the butler then remembers that there was this guy by the name of Joseph that helped him. And so he tells the pharaoh about this guy by the name of Joseph, Joseph that maybe can interpret his dreams. But he's in prison, so the pharaoh gets Joseph out of prison and brought him to him. And the pharaoh says, I hear you can interpret dreams. And Joseph, realizing he's the pharaoh, the king, he says, well, for $2,499.99, I can be your man you know, and a get-out-of-jail-free card. No, that's not what he asks. That's not what he says. He says, no, uh, actually, I can't do it. He says, I, I mean, I am that guy, but I can't do it. And the, I'm sure the Pharaoh's like, are you serious? This other guy, you were able to do it for him. What's, you know, and it doesn't say that the Pharaoh said anything. But Joseph said, but God can do it. You know, he was giving credit where credit was due. He says, God can do it and God can give me the answer for you. And so he interprets the Pharaoh's dream. He says, this is what your dream means. He says, God is saying that Egypt, the greatest nation on the face of the earth, is going to have seven years of prosperity. It's going to be wonderful. They're going to be great. You're going to have bumper crops. I mean, everything you touch is going to turn to gold. All your cows are going to have multiple calves. And your herds are going to explode. Not like boom explode, but I mean population growth. It's going to be a great time of prosperity for seven years. Then at the end of those seven years, it's going to get cut off and... and, uh, your land and everything is going to have a great famine, but you need to prepare for that. And that famine is going to hit you for seven, another seven years, and the ground is going to be cursed. And you've got, you just got to be ready for it, and you need to be prepared for it. And so the Pharaoh looks at him and says, "Hey, thank you, Joseph. Thank you for interpreting my dreams. You were the only person that could do it. And uh, uh, you know what? I, I've heard about your success as you know in Potiphar's house, as well as you basically running the jail." You're the guy I want in charge of this. You're the guy that's going to be able to help us during the seven years of plenty to be able to take care of us for the seven years of famine. So Joseph sits down, signs the contract, takes the job. He becomes second in command. God has given Joseph a wonderful economic mind. And he becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt. He starts negotiating with the agricultural farmers and a little bit from the meat. And and he stockpiles. He gets a little bit of the grain. He gets a little bit of the meat. And he he stockpiles it to prepare for the seven years of famine. Everybody's working together. And the seven years of prosperity goes on great. Then all of a sudden at the end of seven years, just as uh, Joseph said, the famine hits. Boom. It's over. But you know what? Egypt was ready. The only place that was ready for it. Because Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of that. Joseph had done his work. Uh, uh, Famine hits. People are hungry. There's no food for anybody else. And and so they start coming to the food line. And they have it for them. All because of Joseph. All because of God. So Joseph here... He had his plan when God gave him the dream. This is where I'm going to be. I, I'm Right now I'm a son of probably the wealthiest guy in the, in the land, and I want to be a leader one day. Maybe I'm going to be the, the, the head of the family. That's my five-year goal, ten-year goal. No. God's plan was not to go to be that leader. Instead, that, that plan was to go from being a son to a slave to a prisoner and then to the leader. There's a purpose behind it but um, so Joseph is there working his plan and uh, Joseph one day as the food is being handed out he looks and he recognizes somebody he goes man that guy looks familiar maybe 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 he was at that party over there at the Pharaoh's house I don't know and then he sees another guy that looks very very familiar and then he realizes it's his brothers or at least a few of his brothers and it just hits him that that these are the guys that just sold into slavery now if I was Joseph, I would be taking y'all ever read the book or re- heard them, heard about the Count of Monte Cristo. That's like one of my favorite books. I, I know it, it's all about revenge. I don't know what that says about me. Um, but I know if I was Joseph, I'd be like, you dirty scoundrels. There is no way you're getting any of this food. You just leave, you know. Uh, he can make their life miserable. But that would be me. But that's not what he does. Okay? Joseph says, uh, he starts by asking them questions. So, uh, where are you guys from? And they're like, well, we're across the river uh, over in Canaan. Okay, cool, cool. Um, who's your dad? Oh, we got a dad. His name's Jacob. And Cool. Is he still living? And he's asking all these questions just to find out how his family is doing. Um, and they're like, well, uh, yeah, yeah, he's still living. And he goes, well, do you have any more brothers? And they're like, well, there's, there's 11 of us now. There used to be 12, but there's only 11 of us. Oh, oh I'm sorry to hear that. What happened? And they're like, well, one of them was on the way to take us lunch and he got mauled by a lion. And He died. And he's like, hmm, I wondered how you would get across, you know, get that to your dad. Okay, okay. Well, um, is there anyone else, Did he, any younger brothers? Well, we also had Benjamin, you know. And, uh, and so he was asking these things just to make sure that the animosity that was towards Joseph wasn't also geared towards um, Benjamin as well. And so he's making sure he doesn't mist- they weren't mistreating him. So uh, they get their food, they're heading out, and he accuses them of being spies. He accuses them of stealing money and uh, all of this kind of stuff. And so uh, Joseph says, okay, you've got to leave a brother here, and then you've got to bring back your youngest brother, and then I'll believe your story. So they go back. Uh, they leave Simeon behind, and then after they stayed at home long enough to eat up all the food that they had just got— uh, they come back with Benjamin. Long story short, I know it seems like a really long story now, but Joseph gets to see his little brother, and he's moved with compassion, and he just can't handle the masquerade anymore. And so he tells him to go into the, his private chambers. And this scares them to death. They, they don't know it's Joseph. It's been, at this point, it's been 22 years since they beat him up, threw him in a pit, and sold him as a slave. They don't recognize them. Recognize him because the, the the Israelites they were wooly guys. I mean they had like ZZ top beards going on. I mean they had the full beard, full. They were just wooly, hairy guys. Egyptians were clean shaven. A lot of them not only shaved their face but they also shaved their hands. And so they definitely did not recognize Joseph. Now flip over to Genesis fifty. Well, I'll get there in just a moment. But so Joseph says, go to my private chambers. And, he, and the, the Bible tells us that Joseph gets back to the inner chamber just a little bit farther beyond the private chambers. And he falls on his knees and he weeps and he cries. I mean, absolute brokenness because of the pain that he had gone through in his entire life. And then he stands up and he walks out and he goes into the room and he looks at his brothers in the eye. And he says, I want you to know it's me. I'm Joseph. Your brother, the one that you abandoned so many years ago. And you can just imagine the complete silence, you know? I mean, can you imagine how scared these guys were? I mean, a joyous reunion. Hey, he's still alive, and the, but yet he is the second in command. We're, uh, we're, we're in deep doo doo here, right? 17 years pass after this joyous reunion. Well, I'm sorry. They were scared, it was a happy reunion. Joseph says, go back, get everybody, bring them on down, I'll take care of everybody. And so they go do that. 17 years pass after this joyous reunion, Jacob the dad dies. His brothers are now very scared because they think that Joseph is now going to seek vengeance on them because he wasn't going to do it while the dad was still living. And so they were very scared. Look, let's look at verse number 15, Genesis 50. It says when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of of the God of your fathers. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we are your servants. Again, if I was Joseph, I'd be thinking, Yeah, right, you're my servants. You better believe it. Go scrub my toilet. Here's a toothbrush, you know. Bow down and grovel before me because I'm the second in command. But Joseph does not have that attitude whatsoever. What does he say? Verse 19. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I, for, for am I not For am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day and to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted, comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Basically, Joseph looks at them and says, get up, I'm not God, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to judge you, I'm not going to hold anything against you, because everything that you meant to bring harm against me, God meant it for good. God had a purpose, God had a plan, and God was present through everything that I went through. And this leads me to my second point, and that is that God has a purpose in in your pain. God has a purpose in your pain. Through the pain that you're experiencing right now, God has a purpose. And I think, think about it with me. If Joseph wouldn't have been abandoned by his brothers, he wouldn't have gone into slavery. And if he hadn't gone into slavery, he wouldn't have gone into prison. And if he wouldn't have gone into prison, he wouldn't have been able to interpret the dreams of the butler and the cook. And if he wasn't able to do that, he wouldn't have interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And then he wouldn't have been made the second in command to be able to produce all the food, to store up all the food. And if they weren't there, then their brothers that had no food would have died. There was a purpose from the very beginning that God had in store. There was purpose that God had for Joseph to go through all of those things. A, a strategic plan, a, a purpose in Joseph's pain that was orchestrated by God. Joseph, I'm sure, had a five-year plan. He wanted to be a mighty, a mighty leader in five years. He wanted to be used mightily of God. He wanted to be a ruler because God showed him he was going to be, he was going to be a ruler. Well, where was he in five years from that dream? He was a slave. Okay, that's not exactly where Joseph wanted to be. He kind of retweaked his five year plan at that point, and so maybe he lowered his expectations a little bit and said, All right, I just want to be free in five years. Well, where was he five years after that? In prison. Okay, that's not, you know, you can imagine Joseph like, that's not where I wanted this to go. That's the wrong direction. I can imagine him saying, oh, okay, God, this isn't funny anymore. You know, you showed me this dream that I was going to be a leader, and now I'm in a prisoner? What's going on? This is not my plan. This was not how it was supposed to go. Does God have a purpose for your pain? It's either a yes or no. And the answer is yes. God does have a purpose for your pain. And you may say, well, I don't see it. I don't understand it. Things are so traumatic right now. I, I can't see what purpose that could possibly be. I don't know what that purpose is either. But I do know this. Romans eight twenty eight and 29. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. This verse is saying that everything is going to work together for your good. Why? So you can be more like Christ. That's what verse 29 says. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's why God allows the pain that we go through. There's a purpose behind it. When God created you, God created a purpose for you that God is going to take all of your pain all of your suffering, all of the trauma in your life, and He's going to turn it all around for good because there is a purpose. God has a purpose in your pain. And it's not just for the sake of pain, so don't lose heart. I've said it before, I'll say it again, that God uses pain. He's never going to let pain just go by for no reason. God is sovereign. God is in control. Even when things seem spiraling out of control, we need to trust Him. Even when it doesn't make sense, well, especially when it doesn't make sense, we need to trust Him. There is a God sized -sized purpose for you through your pain. If Joseph hadn't been sold into prison, as I said, he never would have learned how to run a house, he wouldn't have learned those, those economics. Right? If he hadn't been falsely accused and sent to jail, he wouldn't have uh, learned how to run a jail. And he never would have met the baker uh, 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 who had the dream. And if he wasn't there, he wouldn't have made an impact on him to tell Pharaoh about it later. And if he wasn't there to interpret the dream of Pharaoh, he wouldn't have been there to uh, to be put into position of power and to save Egypt and to save his family. His five-year plan took 13 years to get him to the point where he was actually the leader. So what if it doesn't go as planned? It's okay. If you have a five-year plan where you want to see yourself in five years and it doesn't happen, it's okay. Maybe you need to readjust your plans a little bit. Maybe you need to lower some expectations. I don't know, but in all of it, you just need to stay faithful with the Lord. Even, especially, when things get worse than you thought possible. God is using those times for you to draw closer to Him, to trust Him. Even though you may not be able to see it right now, God has a reason. God has a purpose. So what, what if? What if it doesn't work out the way you wanted it to work out? What if you're not where you wanted to be in five years? It's okay. It's okay. God is still in control. Now, that doesn't mean that we get to sit back and do nothing and just, like, let God do it all, let other people No. It's okay, just you've got to remain, remain faithful to him. And he'll help you. He'll guide you. Where will, where will you be in five years? In 2029, where will you be? I don't know. Some of y'all may not still be here. And I'm not even talking about in the town of Midway or in this church. God may call some of you home. And we might be surprised who he calls home in the next five years. But it's okay. That's all part of God's plan. We got to trust Him no matter what. Would you stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this uh, for this message this morning. And Lord, uh, Lord, we know that you're the healer. You're the one that can heal our pain. You can forgive our sins, Lord. We need, Lord, we need you so very much. And so, Lord, I pray that we would, uh, well that you would help us to realize that the pain that we may be going through right now or we have gone through is just something that you're working in us and through us for your divine purposes. And I pray that you would help us not to grow weary while we're doing that, while we're doing what you want us to do, that we will keep faithful to you. Lord, I know there's many times I look back on my own life and I see different situations that I didn't understand or I don't understand. And I don't know why. But Lord, I know that You're using them and You're using me for Your glory. And so I pray that You would use all of us for Your glory. Through our problems and through our trials and through our pain, You have a purpose behind it all. And we may have some great, wonderful, God-honoring plans, but... They don't always come to fruition. But Lord, help us that if it doesn't go the way we think it ought to go, that we will stay faithful to you, that we will stay worshiping you, knowing that you are in control. Because you are. You're in control of everything. I pray that you help us to trust you in everything that we do. Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. We pray that you would use it for your glory, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. I don't know what God may be doing in your heart, but uh, I I invite you to to respond to him this morning. We're going to sing uh, 607, uh, where he leads me.
1: I can hear my Savior calling. I can hear my saviour calling. I can
2: hear my savior
1: calling Take thy cross and
0: for being here. I hope that you'll stick around for some food, some fellowship. Uh, also, I pray that God will continue working your heart. Let's uh, close with a, a word of prayer this morning. And I'm going to ask Rick if you would close our service with prayer, sir.